My name is Kelly. I am one of the pastors here at Southlands, and we are so excited that you are here this morning. Um, the reason why we're gathered here today is because objectively, this is the most significant, the most meaningful, the most victorious, the most reason for anything day of in all of history. Um, and we are celebrating that today. And so my encouragement to you is, if you are a Christian, if you've been a disciple of Jesus for a long time, maybe you gave your life to Jesus when you were a child, um, and maybe through the years, this day has kind of waned in your heart. You've taken it for granted. Maybe this is the one time of year that you're like, okay, I'll go to church, you know. And, and, but you're, you're, you call yourself a disciple of Jesus. Can I encourage you to allow and let the beauty and the, the, the true meaning of this day grow in you and be renewed in you? Um, you know how like a flower when it's closed up at night and then the, the light of the sun will come and shine on it and all of a sudden the petals open up and absorbs all the beauty of the sunlight? Can, can you allow God to do that in your heart today if you've kind of waxed or waned a bit in your appreciation for the resurrection? And then if you're, if you're a seeker this morning, if you're not a believer, if you're saying, hey, I'm checking out Christianity, uh, can I encourage you this morning, the things that I'm going to say are the things that we believe about Jesus. And so some of the scriptures that we're going to go through today, you can find out what we think about who Jesus is. You know, it, some of the songs we are singing today, all of this points to what we believe about Jesus. And if you have not yet crossed the line of faith today, today could be the first day that you do that. Um, always we have on Easter, we, we baptize people and we do a little baptism class beforehand so that people know what's going on. But today can actually, you can, you can say, no, I want to put my hope. I want to put my faith in Christ. And today is the first day and you could be baptized today and we want to celebrate with you. Um, and so wherever you are this morning, can you allow the sunlight of Easter to shine upon you this morning? Amen. All right. That was free. Uh, I'm going to start my timer now. Um, last year, during this time, I don't know if you guys remember, uh, I was on um, a kind of group text, so to speak, with a bunch of pastors that I'm friends with, and we were all encouraging one another this year and just saying, man, go for it as you preach. Let, let the, the, the truth of the gospel, let it, let it bear fruit. And you were like, yes, we're praying for you, man, and all these kind of things, just hoping that this will be a great celebration for you today. And we were all excited about today, but I was thinking about a year ago during this time, feeling, man, pretty discouraged, pretty discouraged. I remember we weren't sure what we could do and what we couldn't do and what was safe and what wasn't safe. Everybody was like trying to figure stuff out and how much can we encourage? How can we, how much do we need to be cautious? All of these things. No one really knew. We were told all these things and it was like, all right, I guess we're just going to be online this year. And I remember feeling this afterwards, being in this room to a room of no one, except for a video camera. Good morning, everybody who's online this morning. We're so glad you're here with us. And just feeling this kind of like, what the heck? That's not Easter, you know? This is objectively the best day in all of history. We should be all gathered together. And now, here this morning, being able to celebrate this thing, God, thank you so much for what you've done, just even in a tough year. Yeah, it's all right to celebrate that. And I, I remember this sense of anger and frustration and discouragement and thinking, I, I remember preaching a, a really weird sermon that year. 
Pastor, no one remembers what I preached. That's okay. You don't have to remember. I asked my wife. She didn't have a clue. So I even had to go back and look at my notes and go, what did I preach last Easter? And I preached about this Saturday moment in the resurrection. See, we just had Good Friday where we remember the death of Christ and the death of death, and that was for our salvation. And yet there was this Saturday moment before the Sunday had come, and I said, guys, it feels like we're in a Saturday moment waiting for the resurrection to come. And I didn't know how true that statement would be for us this year. It was as if the church, and I think the whole world, just said, winter's coming, I'm going to go into the cave, I'm going to hibernate, and I'm going to just wait this out. And I understand why that happened, and rightly so. But the problem with that is that there came with this hibernation, so to speak, this in-between moment, this like going into the dark. In the dark, there came uh, exponential kind of indulgence in sin in people's lives. I was reading a statistic. They're saying during the pandemic that pornography has jumped. It has skyrocketed because people are sitting at home. They're either bored and idle or they're giving into indulgences. Not only did sin kind of increase, but I think fear, right? I mean, if you, if you listen to any social media, you turn on the news, doesn't matter if it's liberal or conservative, doesn't matter what it is, it's telling you that you are going to die and you should be afraid of everything in life. And that, that, that kind of statement has got in even to us as Christians who believe that God is our victory. So not only sin, but fear. And then I think something of doubt had crept into the church. Like, is this ever going to go back to normal? Are we ever going to be able to celebrate? Is Jesus still on the throne? Is God still who he says that he is? So much things in life feel like they're just being pulled apart and the normalcy that I experienced, the, the kind of everyday normal routine that I've experienced in life has been totally removed from me. And in the darkness, I think, sin, fear, and doubt have and I suggest, well, let me, before I suggest what I'm going to suggest, you know, this will not be the last time that we have an opportunity as the people of Jesus, or whether you're not a Christian yet, I say yet, we're going to get there, um, that you will be tempted to give in to fear, that you will be tempted to give in to sin, and that you will be tempted to give in to doubt. Whether it's personal in your own life, something happens circumstantially, you're always going to be confronted with these things that are coming against you. And whether it's a pandemic or whether it's real persecution that will come to the church, and one day I think that is coming, where we're really having to say, do we gather in the name of all of those things, we will have to be confronted with these things again. And so what I want to suggest is the same thing that Melody said this morning, helping us with our kids is that we need to allow the light of the resurrection of Easter to come and shine over all of these things that we face as a people. We need to, to, to say, Lord, I've been in the dark too long. I've been in the dark in my sin. I've been in the dark in my fear. I've been in the dark in my doubt. I've been in the dark of self-preservation, holding on to myself and just trying to protect and hold it out. And we, what we need is some, it's like one of my teenagers. I, you ever... Who has teenagers here? Raise your hand. Anybody have teen? You ever walk in your teenager's room and you open the door and you're like, what in the heck is happening in here, right? Smells like old socks. And you just, what you want to do is say, 
Let's pull the curtains open, open up the windows, and let out that sunlight to get rid of this stank. And church, that's where we are. We need to allow the sunlight of the resurrection to come and shine upon the mold. And as you see the sunlight, it's like bleach on it. It starts to dissipate. And we start to see things rightly for who we are in Christ and who the church is called to be and what Jesus has done for us because that cannot be taken away from us no matter what the world says. For the Christian, Easter affects everything. We, we as Christians, we love Christmas, don't we? That is like, ooh, all the feels. And I think it's weird, but Easter somehow has got like, you know, second fiddle to, to Christmas. And actually, this day, friends, is meant to be the most meaningful day of all of our lives for Christians. So for the Christian, Easter is meaningful. Without Easter, there is zero goose egg. There is no reason to be here this morning. Zero reason. We should all just go and get our spiral ham now. Get it out of the oven. We should all get our Easter baskets with that fake plastic iridescent green stuff that you know, the grass that gets caught up in your vacuum cleaner that you're all going to have to pull out later. We should just be like, we should just go home and do whatever we want. None of us should be here. None of us should profess Christianity. None of us should say we have a hope. None of us here this morning should profess any kind of faith if Easter didn't happen. This is, this is what Paul said to a church called the Corinthians, and he said this about Easter. He says this. This is the NLT version. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 through 19 says, If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you're still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. Verse 19. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. What Paul is telling the church is saying, friends, this is just a big old joke. If Jesus didn't get, I mean, all the good stuff, all the good stuff that Jesus did while he was alive, that, that might last for like some people that were around him physically and saw those things, right? But absence, you know, it's like... You, out of sight, out of mind. And that can only last for a while. And so if we're hinging on the things that Jesus did while he was alive, but then he died, and we're just putting our hope in that, then we're all a sad lot of people. But what Paul says, he says, your faith hinges on the resurrection. Because without it, there is no victory over sin. There is no victory over death. There is no meaning in life. Easter is the light that shines on us. It wakes us up. It reminds us who we are as his people. It reminds us of what's been paid for us. And it reminds us of a seal that cannot be taken away. All right, so here's what I want to do this morning. You guys ready? Turn to the book of John and turn to John chapter 20. And as you're finding your way there, that's in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke. John. It's the fourth book of the gospel. And you're going to turn all the way to chapter 20. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to read the narrative story 
of the resurrection of Christ, okay? So if you know anything about Jesus, Jesus was, he was in heaven, he's, he's part of the Trinity, he is fully God, but he became fully man on our behalf. And so through his humility, he said yes to the will of the Father and became humble and was born through a Virgin Mary. He experienced all the things that you and I experienced, all the pain, all the suffering, all the temptation, yet Jesus was perfect, he was righteous. Who is the only perfect and righteous person who has ever lived on this earth and who will ever live on this earth. He is the only one who has never sinned. Yet in his perfection, he laid down his life for you and me because he knew that there was not a way for you and I to live perfectly. You ever try to be a perfect person? It lasts for like five seconds, right? All of a sudden, you're like, oh, wait, I think I just messed up, dang it. And then, okay, now you're screwed up. So, And nobody can do it. Jesus was the only one. Yet he surrendered himself to die a death that you and I deserve. And when he died on the cross, he willingly went to the cross. The Bible says that all of the wrath of God against sin, which means God is a holy God, he judges our sin, and he says, I cannot stand between unrighteousness because I'm holy, and the only way that you can, you can converse with me, the only way that we can have a relationship is if you're perfect, right? Well, we, none of us could do it, so Jesus dies on the cross. All of our sin is put on Jesus completely. Every single sin that you've ever done was fully absorbed in the cross of Christ. Not one little bit, no matter how big, no matter how small. All of your sin, if you put your hope and faith in Jesus, it's completely absorbed in Christ. But it doesn't end there. It continues with the Gospels and the resurrection. We're going to read John chapter 20 here now that Jesus not only received our sin and took it and paid the penalty, but he was victorious over it so that you and I can stand here and sit here and listen and sing here and smile to each other, one another, encourage one another, and pray for each other's challenges, all of those things so that it has meaning. So let's get into the text this morning. John chapter 20, verse 11 through 13. I'm going to be reading from the NIV this morning. Michael Bryan will be particularly happy about that. And if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles here at these tables. We have Bibles in the back. Um, if you need a Bible, someone will get you a Bible, and that's yours to keep. Okay? This is the word of the Lord. Now Mary, speaking of Mary Magdalene, stood outside the tomb crying as she wept. She bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and, one at, uh, and the other at the foot. Verse 13, they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? She, said, she answers her, They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. All right, let's just stop there for a second. Let me give us a little bit of context here. Who is Mary, and why is the Bible talking about this lady? Well, if you were to go back into the, you know, go back and like Lost, if you're watching Lost, you go back in the pre-story and you, you guys can see like who these people were. If you were to go back and look at Mary's life, you knew from what Scripture tells us that she was a sinning woman. She had, her problem was sin. And, and not only that, Scripture tells us that she suffered from seven demons oppressing her life. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he sets her free. From not only her sin, which is, you know, spiritual, and she feels it emotionally, but Jesus sets her free physically, too, from the torment 
and emotional, of course, of seven demons. Now, what we have here in this moment is Mary running back to the tomb. What does she see? See, the problem that she's having here, the reason she's crying is because the person who set me free, the person who absolved me from my guilt that I was carrying, the person who gave me freedom from the oppression of the enemy is dead. He's dead. He's gone. And the angel says, why are you, why are you crying? And it's, she probably was like, why do you think I'm crying? My lucky charm, my hope, the power, the thing that set me free, is, it's over. How would you feel if you were married? I, I remember when my dad passed, and both my dad and my grandmother on my dad's side passed away in the same day. And I remember in that moment, I mean, it was hard. And I remember feeling like, feel like an orphan. I sat with a friend, and, and he was talking about when his parents passed. He said, I felt like orphan. And I was like, yes, that's exactly how I feel. And I, I, I can't imagine how Mary must have felt in this moment. I can't imagine how, like, I, I once was over here, and I was oppressed, and I was totally in controlled by, this, by demons and my sin, and I was walking around in guilt all the time. And then I meet this man named Jesus, and he, in a second, he just, like, sets me free. And then I hear that they're going to crucify him and like, what is going on in the world? Why? He's so perfect. He was so nice to everybody. He was innocent. He didn't do anything wrong. And I go and I run to the tomb to go just like, maybe I could just resolve some of this pain I'm feeling. And now he's gone. Who took him? Beautiful thing is, it doesn't end there. Let's keep reading. 14. Verse 14 says, At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Same question. Who is it you're looking for? I just think it's a little funny here, Jesus playing this. I don't know why he did that, but I think he's trying to get her to... Thinking he was a gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him, and I will get him. So in 16, I'm sorry, I get a little choked up here. It says, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbi, <laughs> teacher, you're alive. You're still here. What? I, I saw you. I saw you die. I saw them pierce your hands. I saw them, I saw the water flow from your side. I saw them bury you. I knew I, I, I was with your body. It wasn't breathing. You're alive. Imagine how Mary must have felt in this moment. One minute, all of her hope is dashed against the rocks. And then in a second, it's all returned to her. It's all come back. The thing that was done for her and to her now cannot be undone. It can't. See, the, the, the hope that she had in like this circumstance or in this moment, in this interaction she had with Jesus, she thought it was over because he was dead. But now because he's living, this proves that what he had done for her, the sin that he had removed from her heart, the way that he had made her clean, the oppression that he removed from her from the enemy, 
was now complete and sealed, and she knows nothing can take this away from her. From her. No matter what. No matter what. And friends, if you are a Christian this morning, can I encourage you to allow the light of Easter to come and shine over your sin? We, there's not one person in this room, myself included, who has not thought or done horrendous things where we should all be put on that cross. And yet Jesus did the, the, the penalty. He paid it for us. He sealed the victory over that sin in our lives through the resurrection. And this morning, if you've forgotten that truth, allow the light of Easter to shine upon your heart. Allow the light of Easter to come and restore to you the joy of your salvation. Because at one moment, like Mary, you might be going, oh my gosh, my sin is too big. What if it comes back? What if I have no control over this? i got to just do this on my own. And Jesus is telling us this morning, hey, 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 I have risen from the grave. Put your hope, put your trust, let the light of the resurrection shine over your sin. This is what Paul tells the Romans, he says in chapter 6, he says, For if we have been united with Him in death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the death, will... Uh, from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Paul is reminding you, Christian, you do we all sin? Yes. Will we continue to sin? Yes. But here's the thing: you don't have to sin anymore. See, before you accepted Jesus in your heart, sin was its sin was a master over you. It told you, look at this, and say this, and think this, and do this, and hide this, and steal this, and you were powerless to overcome that. But on the other side of the resurrection, you say, yeah, sin's tempting me. Look at this, and do this, and listen to this, and say this, and hide this, and you say, I don't have to anymore. Because the light of the resurrection, Easter, more powerful than that. And that's good news. Christians, stop living like resurrection never happened. Stop it. Stop it. Tell myself to stop it. Stop it. Unbeliever, seeker, there's only one way. There's only one way that you're going to find power over the things you know you don't want to do. Over the guilt that's telling you you're a horrible person only one remedy for that, and that is the resurrection of Jesus. So, number one, that was it, number one. Resurrection shines above fear, but number two, we have to understand that Easter shines above our fear. It shines above our fear. Now, here, here's where I want us to go. Look at John chapter 20. Stay there, and let's read a little bit further down. We're just going to look at verse 19. I know the guys, I'm going to screw them up here for a second. 
Sorry, I love you guys back there with the, the slides, but I'm going to ask you just to stay on 19 and 20 for a second. And let's look at verse 19. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week, so this is still that Sunday when Jesus rose, but now it's nighttime, okay? So Mary Magdalene, the Bible says that she went out there during the, as before the sun even came up, she has this encounter with Jesus. Now we're going to look at later on in the evening. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked, for fear of the Jewish leaders. Okay, stop reading there. Don't keep reading. All right? Just let's pause there for a second. So what do we have here? This is what the situation is. We have a bunch of guys who are around Jesus for at least three years. Jesus is doing some crazy, powerful, miraculous things. And when they were around Jesus, they were pretty bold. They were saying a lot of audacious things. It's kind of like, when um, your big brother is at your school and you're getting picked on and your big brother comes to the playground, as, my, as Jeff helped us understand Friday night, and now all of a sudden they're all bold and now all of a sudden they're able to say all these audacious things because their big brother was on the scene. If you remember, some of the disciples were, like as they're marching into Jerusalem, they're like, Jesus, should we call down fire upon these people? And Jesus is like, what are you even talking about? And like, we will die for you, Jesus. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you're going to die, but not in the way you... And then they're like, Jesus, can we sit when you're on the throne in Jerusalem and you're going to be the king and you're going to kick out the Romans and you're going to tell them what's up and you're going to make them pay for all they did to the Jewish people. Can I sit at your right hand and rule with you? And now all of a sudden, as we were marching into Jerusalem, ready to kick butt and take names and tell Caesar what he could do with his taxes. We find ourselves with the person where we were all bold with, where we found our confidence in and our security and our hope. The Jewish leaders wanted to get these guys too. So what did the disciples do? They locked themselves in their house hiding, cowering, hoping, please God, don't let the things that we say and that we said to those people in those moments, and we bowed up and showed them how tough we were, please don't let that come back to bite us. Please, just, I hope they don't even think about us anymore since this seems to be all over. There was fear, but that's not the rest of the story. Let's keep reading. So if we Finish verse 19, it says this, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And no doubt, look at verse, the rest of the, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Oh my gosh, those things we said, the people that are out to get us, it's all over. It's going to come. The rooster's coming home. The chicken's coming home to roost. It's all over. Uh, it's, it's done. It's like we got to hide away. And then all of a sudden, Jesus appears to them in what? Yes! Woohoo! Overjoyed. They weren't just joyed. They were overjoyed. I'm acting a little overjoyed. Some of you are feeling uncomfortable right now because you're like, why is this guy so excited? And they were even more joyed than that. Why? Because now they understood 
the person they put their confidence in. It was not all for naught. It was because we have a message. We have a story living inside of us. We, there's a kingdom of God that we want to see dispersed among the nations. And it wasn't just, just in this moment for just our lifetime. No, this is something that cannot be taken away from us. And you, if we continue reading here, let's look at verse 21 and 23. It says, Jesus said to him, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Jesus now empowers them. He gives them authority. And all of a sudden, they go from hiding in their, in their cupboards, hoping no one will hear them. Be quiet, be quiet. I think I hear the Jewish leaders outside. Shh. Jesus appears to them overjoyed. And then what does he do? He doesn't just say, hey, it's going to be okay. He goes, I'm commissioning you. I'm sending you out into the risk, into the caution, into everything that would tell you self-preserve, self-preserve, hide in your cave, wait, just wait it out. What I'm going to do is I'm going to shine my light over your fear. And as you start to see the resurrection, you're going to go, actually, my life is not just about me. My life as a Christian is about telling others about Jesus. See, this light that has shined on me, I want to reflect it like a disco ball. I want to be like a little disco ball in here. Lord, let it shine in me. Pew, pew, and everyone's around me like, what just happened? That's what we are called to as Christians. If you have found yourself this year saying, man, I just got to look out for me and mine. Because wisdom tells me. Because somebody who's got a bunch of letters before their name is telling me. Because whatever is telling you that, friends, let the light of Easter, of the resurrection, shine upon your fear. I'm not saying... Go do a bunch of stupid stuff. I'm not saying that. I'm saying be who you are. Take the name of Jesus wherever you go. Do not self-preserve. Your life is meant to mean more than that. The only way that you can say, yeah, Kelly, I'll do that, is if the light of Easter is shining. You're like my teenagers with stinky, smelly socks in the room. What the heck's going on in here? Open up the windows. And let it shine on you. Last one. You guys okay? Not only does Easter shine on our, above our sin, not only does Easter shine above our fear, but Easter shines above our doubts. Let's continue with the narrative here. Verses 24 and 25 says this. Now Thomas also known as Didymus, sounds like a rapper's name, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Remember that first time? Well, Thomas wasn't there. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nails, the nail marks in his hands, and I put my fingers where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Oh, Thomas. Oh, Thomas, you terrible person. Oh, Thomas, you worthless disciple. Oh, no. 
friends, I think Thomas is just like all of us here this morning. If I knew somebody was dead, if I saw nails go through his hand, if I saw a spear go through my buddy's side, and if I saw him not breathing, wrapped up in linen so tight that there's no way that he could, even if he wasn't completely dead, mostly dead, Monty Python, you get it, if he was only just mostly dead, there's no way he could get out of that. I would think there's no way. You guys were delusional. I don't know what you were smoking up in there, but that is not Jesus. I think there was probably a little bit of like, what the heck? How come Jesus didn't appear to me too? Like, this is terrible. Man, I shouldn't have gone to that party. I missed out. How come you guys got to see Jesus? This isn't fair. And I think maybe a part of him wanted to believe, but I think there was like this resentment, this bitterness maybe in his heart thinking, you know what? Jesus didn't appear to me. Maybe he doesn't love me as much as he loves you guys. Jesus didn't appear to me, so I'm going to make him have to prove it. You all, the nice ones. Feeling left out. Well, here's the beautiful thing. The story doesn't end there. Let's keep reading. Chapter 20, verse 26. A week later. You think you got to wait a long time for God to answer? I don't know what it would have been like hearing that he had been resurrected and it was a week later. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them, thank God this time. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Same thing he said. Then he said, Thomas. Isn't that beautiful? He's not just like, Jesus is not like this vague, oblivious, floating around, holy master, savior, Messiah, resurrected body. Kind of everybody is in particular and not really specific. He doesn't know people by name. See, Jesus knows that in this moment, that Thomas wasn't there the first time. And he said to him, he says, Thomas, calls him out. Remember those things you said? I know about those. He says, put your fingers here. See my hand. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas says to him, my Lord, my God, my Lord, it's real. It's real. When my friends are saying they weren't just trying to, April fools me. It's this is real. You're alive. You're alive. All those things I said when we were when you were with us before, I was so bold and now and I was scared. I'm not scared anymore. I'm not scared anymore. I know you're alive. You're here. Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those. Blessed is Southland's Gina, who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are you guys. Blessed are you if you believe in the resurrected Christ. I want to see Jesus. What if he was right here this morning? I would be like, Mary Mac, Rabbi, teacher, tackle him, hug him. Okay, okay, get out. Just want to be with you. Blessed are you. Now, imagine how Thomas must have felt in this moment. 
Imagine the, the change in his heart. Imagine the doubt that he once felt, the doubt that we feel at times when we are tempted to believe that God, because of our circumstances, are telling us, God doesn't care about you. God doesn't love you. God is so big. Yeah, he, he's there, but he doesn't know anything specifically about your life. He's got way bigger fish to fry than just your little thing that you got going on there. And I think Thomas must have felt like that. Well, God doesn't care about me. If he did, he, would have, he could have shown himself to me too. We allow this doubt to come in because we look at our world around us and we go, if God was so loving, if God really cared, then X, Y, Z would or wouldn't happen in my life. Let me encourage you this morning. See, the wounds that Thomas put his finger in, in his side, you know what? You know that Jesus still, at this very exact moment, right now, the Bible says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, and that he still bears the scars and marks of the crucifixion. Why does that even matter? Did somehow his fully resurrected body just not get healed up in those certain areas just for Thomas? No, this is for you and me. So when we start to doubt and think, my sin was too big. My sin cannot be fully absorbed in the cross of Christ. The things I've done, God only has so much tolerance for me. And Jesus goes, shut up. Listen, I still bear these scars. And every time you are tempted to doubt, that it's been fully forgiven for you, remember, look, look at Him. I'm seated right now at the, at the right hand of the Father. I'm praying for you. I'm interceding for you that you will know that your sin is fully gone, fully dealt with. And no matter what circumstances tell you, oh, God doesn't care, or look at this, this is why your life's hard, or this is why there's bad things in the world, Jesus goes, nuh-uh, look, remember, it's been paid for you. Stop doubting. Who are, who are these people? That blessed are those who haven't seen and still believe. It's you and me. How does that really, how does the rubber hit the road? It's when we go, oh, my sin. My sin, I don't think Jesus, I don't think God will ever even listen to a prayer. Well, the rubber hits the road is when we go, Jesus paid it all, and he was resurrected from that. And so every time I doubt, I put my hope in the resurrection. That that resurrection sealed this promise that I can never that can never be taken away from me. The Bible says this work that the cross of Christ did for us that moth cannot get to it. In your in your closet, you put uh, moth balls in your wool suit. Why? Because the moths come and eat little holes. And it says that rust cannot get at it. Both these things deteriorate, but our salvation cannot deteriorate. It's been sealed in the resurrection of Christ. And so when, friends, we start to doubt, we start to think, no, God doesn't love me. We start to think God doesn't care about me. My sin is too big. We go back to the resurrection. We go back and we say, Lord, my heart is dark. I want to go just, I just want to, I just want to like wallow in my sin. I just want to wallow in my sorrow. I just want to wallow in my depression. I just want to wallow in my fear. I just want to wallow in all of these things. Jesus says, I'm not allowing you 
you do that, I'm going to come and be like a good dad and open up that door and get a leaf blower and get the spunk out of this room, open up the windows, let the light shine, smell the free air again. Let's end with this. We're going to skip over to the book of Luke. Actually, go back to the book of Luke. This is what it says in, in chapter 24, starting verse 1. On the first day of the week, that's Sunday, very early in the morning, the women took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the woman bowed down with her faces to the ground. But the men said to, him, to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you. While he was still, still here with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of the sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Verse 8, then they remember his words. If you're finding it hard to find victory over your sin, if you're finding it hard to have victory over your fear, if you're finding it hard to find victory over doubt, don't go run to a tomb that is full of dead people. Can I encourage you this morning? Go run to the resurrected Son. Why are you looking in the wrong place for answers? Your only hope is in the resurrected Son. Friends, Easter has meaning. Easter is meaningful. Easter is the only thing that gives us meaning as Christians. Will you stand with me this morning?